grace, undeserved love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, how would you feel if you knew that your favorite sports team, whoever that might be, would not lose another game for the next, say, 10 years? be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Probably for a little while, but then it wouldn't be. If you've ever had something that became just a sure thing, you realize that you, you're tired of it. You got bored, actually, with winning, with succeeding. It didn't mean as much. And the more success you had, the less it became something awesome in your mind. It's just like, oh, yeah, we won again. Oh, yeah, that worked out again. Huh? It's actually losing that makes you appreciate winning. It's like that in life in so many different things. Good times grow to mean very little without bad times. Success has little value to us without failure. This is something, it's a lesson learned only slowly and over time little by little, and each human being learns it for himself through the successes and failures of life. It's life itself that teaches us that the win is nothing without the loss. Success, nothing without failure. The A is only sweet because of the B, C, D, E, F. There is no E, I know. Happiness is diminished, actually by the lack of sorrow of any kind. It's a strange concept. The bottom line is that life is interesting because there is struggle. And that's true in life, and it's not a bad thing. But when you take something from the secular and put it into the spiritual, everything changes. So also here. In spiritual things, when we're talking about heaven and hell, there we don't want chance. There we don't want the threat of failure. There we, we want something sure and certain. And the good news this morning is that our text offers us just that. In connection with things out of our control, things we do not control, we have from our God rock-solid, sure-thing promises. With that in mind, listen to our text for this morning. It's from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the second chapter, beginning with verse 8. And you remember, this is a man whose years had come to a close. He was about to die, and he was writing what we have as his last letter to Timothy, his protege, knowing that he was going to die, looking back at his life. We read, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, 
he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of our holy God. That word represents an unparalleled certainty in our uncertain existence. Sure, certain, true in every respect. That our God, through the study of these sure, certain words, would grant us certainty, security, peace. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. I used to feel so good about buying things with lifetime guarantees. I think, I can spend a little bit more money because I'll never have to buy anything else. Lifetime guarantee. And you all know where that's going because I remember, actually, the first time I bought something like that and then it broke and I went to return it to this reputable, well-known company that made it only to find out that lifetime guarantee meant their lifetime. They were no longer in business. Too bad. The sobering truth is that outside of the spiritual realm, outside of things spiritual from our God, I couldn't come up with a single thing in life that is sure, certain, absolutely rock-solid guaranteed. Nothing. Thought as I might, I mean, we don't know if this is the last sunrise. We don't know if when you greet your friend and that you part ways, that's the last time you'll see them. You don't know if you will wake up tomorrow. None of us does. We can't, I couldn't, point to one single thing in my existence outside of God and His Word that is sure and certain. There's something I have confidence in, but could I say absolutely, without doubt, for sure? No, I can't. Now, for children of a merciful and loving God, that doesn't bother us. It shouldn't. Because we know that God is in control. It doesn't, this information, this reminder that we live in an uncertain world where we can't rely on anything, shouldn't arrive at the doorstep of our recognition with fear and, and trembling, like, oh, no. And yet it does with the godless. It is a hammer blow to them. They are in a panic and reach for the tranquilizers every time they hear that they might not be in control of something. The world just plain does not want to hear that. They bury the idea that they are not in control under just a mountain of bike helmets and insurance policies and savings accounts and vitamins and workout plans and anything else just to give them the illusion that they are in control. Because the alternative terrifies them. They don't want God to be in control if they even acknowledge that he exists because they might not like where God takes them. If our life is controlled by God, he gets to call the shots. He gets to direct where we go, what we do, what happens to us, and 
nope, that's not something that they want to live with. Because of our old Adam, you and I often share their concerns, don't we? You have to admit it. We get a little panicky if we believe we're not in control, especially parents with the children. You want to be able to wrap them in bubble wrap. If you, if you just, okay, have them put on their seatbelt or get into the appropriate car seat every time, and if maybe you walk them to the bus or whatever it is, if you hover over them, you can somehow control them because the alternative is just too terrifying to contemplate that something bad could happen to your loved one. But Christians need to be reminded often of the peace and comfort, the tranquility there is in recognizing that, that simple statement from the psalmist, my times are in your hands. You're in control, God. And that to me should be always the supreme comforting truth of my life. I might not always like it, it might be hard, but knowing that God is in control ought to give us continual peace, comfort, assurance. That even hard things that might come into our lives that God might allow don't happen without His approval. And He will make absolutely everything work out for our spiritual well-being. This is the first sure thing in our study, in our text, this morning. The sure thing that God's children rest securely, every single one of us, in God's loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing hand. Now, while that is indeed a comforting thought, we need to prove it, don't we? As we need to prove everything always on the basis of God's Word. Is this wishful thinking, or is this what God has told us? It's not a problem, since God has told us that exactly in so many different places in this word. We'll look at just a few. In Hebrews 13, keep your life free from love of money, but be content with what you have. For he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You sang about this same sentiment in the psalm, although you may have not obviously connected it with something you haven't heard yet. David, when he was going up to Jerusalem, that psalm that we sang was a psalm of ascents, something that they used to sing when they were walking up that long hill to Jerusalem. And David was looking out, and he was seeing the high places, and he saw these pagan worship sites in which the people of Jerusalem even had come to trust. And the psalm, as you sang it, did well by having a question mark, adding that question mark. I will look up unto the hills and then question from whence comes my help. Not there. My help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where his confidence was. Again, we read in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus. Jesus is with us always. So how can something arbitrary beyond his power to stop, how can something bad happen to us? 
Again from John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. These passages, countless others, make this a sure thing for us. Something we can absolutely count on in a very uncertain world. It's further reinforced by this simple passage from our text for this morning. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Those are powerful words, that, that last phrase, he cannot deny himself. What does that mean? What comfort is that supposed to hold for us? Just this, God is true. Now you've heard the passage, God is love. And we know that that means that's of his essence. That means it can't be separated from him or he ceases to exist. God is love. He's not just loving, demonstrating it at times. He is the essence, by his very nature, love. But he's also truth. That is, he can't have falsehood. Truth can't be separated. He cannot deny himself. That's what that means. Because he is always true. Because he is never false. He never breaks a promise. This one who alone can promise something in the future because he controls the future. He can never break that promise because it's just he's not capable. Truth is his essence. Which is why we read from our text, if we are faithless, no matter what we do, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. When Paul wrote in our text, God cannot deny himself, he's both teaching us and he's comforting us. He's teaching us because he's teaching us something about God's nature. The fact that he can't go back on himself. He can't say something and then go and turn around and say something different or contrary. It's himself. It's him. It's his essence again. These promises that God remains faithful, that he cannot deny himself, open for us a whole other level of understanding of what we read. If we look carefully, look at those things and recognize that if God says something, it is impossible for anything other than that to come about. In other words, we have a sure thing. If God says, it is so, and will always be so. So we turn to another sure thing in our text, and it probably, it may have struck you as it struck me, as sort of a 180-degree turn, because it, it all seemed to be going our way, but then all of a sudden, God throws in, writing through Paul, this pure law sentence. If we deny him, he also will deny us. That's pure law, isn't it? Where the rest was so comforting and uplifting, I know whom I believe Paul's talking about, and I know I can trust him. And then he throws this in. If we deny him, he will deny us. Don't overlook this sure thing. Use it to beat your old Adam into submission. 
because that's what it's intended to do. It's a stark warning that we, because we are still flesh and blood and have that old Adam, need to hear. God keeps his promises, and this is one of them. In Mark 16, whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's the sort of thing that we use to put off that old man, to beat it into submission on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. We have to use powerful, sure promises like this to do that. He's talking here about unbelief. Denying God is more than just denying his existence. The devils believe he exists. The devils believe Jesus existed. That obviously didn't save them. Unbelief is denying what God says about himself, any component of what God says about himself. So the devil saw Jesus coming and said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of Nazareth? We know who you are. They knew what he came to do. So they recognized Jesus as Messiah, but they rejected him. They were still in opposition to him. Our own sinful flesh would like to turn this into something other than it really is, just like the world around us. They'd like to imagine that believing in God is all that you need, and that that can be as simple as believing that he's out there somewhere. Unbelief is the rejection of what God says about himself. Everything that God says about himself, or anything that God says about himself. In other words, you can believe, someone can believe that Jesus was born and lived a good life, died innocently on the cross, and still be an unbeliever, go to hell. Because they don't credit that perfection of Jesus as he did to themselves. They see him as an example. Okay, he did his part, he showed me what I'm supposed to do, now I'll do my part. That's unbelief. That's denial of Jesus. And all those on Judgment Day can expect nothing other than, I don't know you, from their God. So we have this promise. No misunderstanding. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The world hears that again, and, and, and they stopper their ears. They don't want to hear. They want to hear something else that will make them feel good and comfortable. They don't want to hear this promise from God, that on Judgment Day there will be no compromise, no vacillation, no extenuating circumstances. God knows them. There's no lying. And when he has that or makes that terrible decree, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. No appeal, no reprieve. It terrifies them. All who die in rejection of Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. Jesus promised it. But that's not what we focus on this morning, is it? Not you. You don't need to because you will never hear that sentence applied to you. 
you will never hear that sentence of condemnation applied to you because God has brought you from death to life. God has paid your sin debt and brought you to faith in believing that that is true. You do not reject Jesus Christ. So we read in our text, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Paul's referring there to conversion, especially probably in connection with baptism. You died to sin. When you died with Christ, being brought to faith in Jesus, that power that Satan and sin held over you was broken. And the result is, and again, these are promises made by God, you died to him or with him, you will live with him. And then he goes on to make an astounding statement. We just read these things and we pass over them and, oh, that's nice, but if we endure, we will also reign with him. So not just an existence in heaven, but God's promise is a reigning in heaven, whatever that entails. Certainly not a bad thing. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around what that could mean, that we would reign with Christ in eternity, but God has promised it will be. Again, these are certainties in a very uncertain world. But notice that one word in there, if we endure. That word endure. In that, we learn some things, don't we? If we endure. means we have that terrible power to throw it away. God's certain declaration here is that no one can take this from you. Remember Paul saying, neither height nor depth nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is, no outside entity, not the devil, nothing can take this from us, but we have that terrible power to throw it away, to give it up. So Jesus gave us other promises. If you continue in my word, and there's that key, isn't it? If you endure, how do we endure? How do I have the strength to endure? You don't. So come to me in my word. That's where you get this power, this strength to endure. That's the basis of this promise. It isn't, all right, you are now a Christian. Do whatever you want. That promise of Jesus said, if you abide in, continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. So Paul here gives that rock-solid certain guarantee that God will never deny him. So if he cannot, he will never break one of his present promises. He is not capable. But there's that implied warning. The devil still prowls around like a roaring lion. So does this make us uncertain? Does this fill us with fear and apprehension? Go to him in his word. Just be with him in his word regularly. And then you apply those solid promises of God to you. You abide in his word. No one can snatch you out of his hand. The power comes from God, not from you. You just avail yourselves of that source. Is this a work that we do and in part then earn? No, but we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we've been brought to life, so now we can look around and say, what does my God want me to do? Not, 
as a way to earn or to help pay for some of my sins. But I'm no longer a dead spiritual thing. And here my God offers this invitation. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me in my word. There I will strengthen you. There my promises will be delivered to you. I will preserve you. I will sustain you. Nothing can take you from my hand. How God's promises, these promises of God, ought to fairly make us thrilled to what he's promised here. We start with that, that getting beaten down, that old Adam. If we deny him, who he is, what he did, what he represents, our complete total sin payment, he will deny us. So that evil side in me, your ideas for my life, never. That's a recipe for eternal death. But then those, those promises of God leap from the page. I've paid your sin debt. I am your God. I am in control of your lives. I love you. I will not allow something to destroy you that will destroy you. I'll make everything work out for your spiritual good. Be comforted. Be encouraged. Be filled with joy by those sure thing promises. And then be ready to give an answer to those who notice that in you. Who notice that no matter what the circumstances in your life, you're still filled with confidence, with joy. Be ready to give an answer to them that your Savior is theirs, your God is their God. Thanks be to God for all of the things that he has given for us, given to us and done for us, especially this morning, the certainty of our salvation through faith in his son Jesus.